It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. Listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast, I'm Cathy Sheridan. Our book club will be reconvening later this month, so we wanted to let you know that we are reading Motherwell by Deborah Orr. It's a memoir by the late journalist, and we hope you can read along with us, and we'll be having that conversation in a couple of weeks. Coming up on today's episode, we'll be looking at the realities of caring for a loved one with a progressive illness. Kira Jordan and Anya Ryan will be speaking to me about their parents' diagnosis with Alzheimer's and dementia and why it's often described as the long goodbye. Just before Christmas, Kira wrote about her mum's Alzheimer's in a piece for the Irish Times, where she revealed it's an odd thing to grieve someone who is still alive. Kira joined me in studio alongside Anya Ryan, who writes the series Daddy Dementia and Me for the Irish Times. In her writing, Anya tells of her father, George, who developed dementia in his early 80s. Both women describe the experience caring for their parents as their illness worsens, their memory goes and the people they once were slip away. Kira, um, I've read your piece again and I've actually read it several times since you wrote it around Christmas. Um, your mother's had Alzheimer's for five years yep. and you speak of a, of, of, of a kind of limbo grief. Now explain that. Yeah, I suppose um, Alzheimer's is a funny disease because, you know, you, you know that it's a long, it's going to be a long goodbye, it's going to take a long time um, and you know that it's going to, it's quite um, aggressive and you know that there's going to be certain bits that's up and down. But I don't think anyone prepared me and my dad for the massive grief of each time like mum kind of you know goes down or she loses even a bit more of herself so I suppose for me the thing that really hit because I suppose grief is quite selfish in some ways isn't it because it's bits that hit you and what made me write the article was I um I bought a walnut whip and mum loved walnut whips um, and used to always be like a bit of a treat and a bit of a bowl treat. And I don't know why I bought one because I actually don't like them, but I bought it anyway. And um, I just had this massive wave and it was just so desperately sad. And I just, I went home and cried. And, you know, I have friends who have lost parents and, you know, they'd talk about how lovely their their work is and they'd say, take the day off. But I don't... I didn't feel entitled to that. I was just a bit like, you know, it's just a bit sad, but this is an ongoing thing. So it's this weird feeling of, you know, massive sadness, but I can't put my finger on it because I can go and see my mum and go away. I can, you know, I can send pictures to dad to show her whenever I'm not in Galway of me. I can, you know, paint her nails when I go home. I can touch her, but yet she's not always there. You know, like one of the things I say in the in the piece is about how mum always admires my wedding ring. And my mother spent years trying to get me married. Like I say, I turned 19 and she was like, hurry on and get married. Don't think she ever married, expected me to marry a woman, but that's a different story. But, um, you know, it was always like that. And for her to look at my wedding ring now and, and say, what a lovely ring that is, but not know it's my ring and not know. It's those stabs that you don't understand. Um, so it's it's a weird thing, and I think it's she something that isn't discussed. She was at your wedding, Kira. She was at my civil ceremony. Yeah. So my wedding was actually in Portugal, um, but we did a civil ceremony ASAP. Basically, um, we had an appointment with mum and with the um, what it's called the old age. It's called something like the old age consultancy group or something, which is a horrendous name for any group anyway. But um, we had an appointment with that and they told us that mum was having TIAs. and Which she, are? Which are mini, mini strokes. strokes. Yeah. And that her Alzheimer's was getting more and more aggressive. And we noticed that. But we lived in denial. Like, I was like, we'll take mum to Portugal, it'll be grand. 
you know, like we were like, sure, we just won't lose her. We won't, you know, those people that lose people with Alzheimer's, that won't be us. We'll bring her around. She'll be grand. Flight will be fine. And obviously, I suppose it was denial. And they told us at that appointment, like, your mother can't go to Portugal. You know, she in no way, like, your mother should really be in a nursing home in the next five or six months. Get married now if you can. So everything was booked in Portugal and it went ahead. But we had a silver ceremony that was a little bit bigger than what we probably would have done in in Galway. Um, and when she was didn't, this, Kira? It was, so I'm married a year now, so about a year and a half for the civil ceremony. Um, and it was a weird thing because, you know, A, she didn't have any clue that I was getting married. Um, and then, quite funnily, in the middle of it, and I mean, like you often talk about your dad on you, about how he just says random things. Mum said in the middle of it, don't worry, they won't get married. Sure, they wouldn't let two women sign it. This was in the middle of this ceremony. This was in the middle ceremony. of the civil ceremony. And my poor cousin was trying to distract her too because I was like, she could say anything like. Um, but so. But she, she was, was aware enough that, to know that two women was, were getting yeah, married or trying. And I mean, I wasn't wearing a wedding dress. And, you know, Maria, my wife, wasn't wearing a wedding dress. So, you know, it was a confusing time for her. But it was important, I suppose, for me and dad to have her there to see at least that she could see that part of it. Um, and then again, you know, when I did get married in Portugal, it was that massive moment of the morning of the wedding, her not there. And like my mother was a bit of a witch, you know, she would have said things like, God, Kira, that dress is awful on you. But I wanted her to say that. Do you know, and that's what grief is weird because you want her to say, you know, oh, Kira, I hate that dress on you. Or, you know, why is your hair like that? Like I wore red lipstick. She wouldn't have liked that. Do you know what I'd like her to tell me that? So that's why grief is weird. And I think with Alzheimer's, it's it's a grief that you can't put your finger on. I think it's that I think it's that you feel you feel you don't have the, the right to, to be grieving. Yeah. That that you are carrying this horrendous burden around with you mm. and having to go and and witness this yeah. several times a week. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what's so hard to absorb for any for anybody who hasn't gone through this. Yeah, like my poor dad, he visits her every day in the nursing home, every day. And if he doesn't, he's he tries to see her as much as possible. Um, and he paints her nails every day. And I was saying, like, he paints a feature nail because he learned what a feature nail is. He didn't know this, so he paints them all in then like a little gold nail. <laughs> My dad's in his 60s, like, you know, like he's not, he's a real manly man. He's not the kind of man that would know how to paint nails. But he does that because it's important to her. And he doesn't know how to process that grief. So for me, that's one of the reasons why I wrote the piece, because I I just needed him to understand that it's okay to have that. And I think that other people in dad's position have to be in that same feeling of this massive weight of grief but not knowing how to process it. Kira, is there still a sense of your mum? Is 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 she is she still there in essence? Um sometimes. So like things like, you know, my mum's from the north, so she has that uh, wicked sense of humor. Um like she'd cut you, you know. <laughs> so things like when she has moments of clarity of knowing that I'm her daughter Kira, she tells me I've got God, you look really old. <laughs> Because I'm not 10 anymore because she in her head, I'm still her small child. Yeah. So all of a sudden she sees me and she goes, oh, Kira, God, you look very old. Like, Thanks, mother. It's called 30s. <laughs> because, Kira, that is that is part of the process that that, that their, their mind. Yeah. Goes, but that part of their brain that's still functioning. Yeah. Goes back to childhood. Childhood. Yeah. Like my mum still thinks she lives in the north. Then sometimes she'll think she lives. She's moved back down to Galway with us. And then, you know, sometimes, which is really weird, she'll say, Kira, where's Kira? Which I can't make sense of. Or she'll say to my dad, Jerry, have you seen Jerry? So it's like, you know, I'm important to you and you know my name, but you don't know that I'm your daughter, Kira. It's very like it's a confusing disease that I can never make sense of. Like I often say to dad, let's just stop trying to figure it out. You know. Anya, it is beyond confusing and because we knew your dad in the Irish Times um, it's very hard to square the picture of George Ryan that I remember with your description and you've written so so eloquently about your dad's decline um, and yet you do it very humorously. And I think uh, first of all I think and I've been reflecting on this even listening to you now Kira, and telling your story that our coping mechanism is to make a, a narrative around 
the person who was suffering it make our narrative because it is such a nebulous thing. And you are saying there about, you know, your mother's memory and we're talking about the front, you know, new memories not being made. But then, for example, I remember in the last couple of years, daddy's been in a nursing home now since April uh, 2015. And just to explain, he was expelled from his nursing home in Dublin for some insubordination and an emergency move brought to Westport. Can, we, can, can I just stop you there? Yes. Yeah. What did, exactly did he do that, 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 that gained expulsion well, for him? the irony was that he ended up in a nursing home just by, you know, because he was an acute patient in St. James's Hospital. And he had, uh, was living, apparently with a heart attack. Yeah, yeah a heart failure. Yeah. Living very dangerously in an apartment on his own at the time in Inchicore. Uh, all sorts of stories about that, you know, keeping a lot of cash there and ready to, you know, take on any, you know, friendly heroin addict that might want to take it from him on the street. Loaded you know? shotgun, no? Uh, not a loaded shotgun, but, you know, ready to take people on, right. you know. But uh, so so he was brought into hospital against his will, very much against his will. He was still in very feisty fighting form saying that there was absolutely nothing wrong with him, even though he set his chimney on fire in the apartment in Inchicore because he used to burn his leftover chips in the fireplace because it was a very efficient thing to do rather than put them in the bin and all the different things that had to happen. So he ended up in James's with the heart failure and was brought to a nursing home because it just happened, there happened to be a bed available. Ironically, in Lucan, at the end of the garden, where he had spent his, a couple of decades before his marriage ended to our mother. So he was literally over the wall from where uh, he had lived for some time. That's kind of an aside. But anyway, he managed well, it's to... it's ideal. Yeah. You've got to bring... Some, yeah. <laughs> the idea is yeah, to yeah. introduce familiar yeah. things and yeah. places. yeah. But he managed to, first of all, he's a kind of a very committed smoker of major cigarettes. I remember this. Yeah. And they were the most important thing. And ironically, you know, as time passes, those cigarettes are the one bit of power he still has mm-hmm. left, you know, pulling out the fag and saying, get me up and light you know and uh, but he managed uh, the smoking he didn't like the smoking arrangements put it like this in this very nice nursing home and he managed to learn off the code to escape and he escaped now uh, that was only one of the things but his main his main argument with the staff was that the men of 1916 died to create Uh, a republic uh, ultimately and what did they die for and he quoted parts of the constitution to them and he said also his other argument everywhere he went was that uh, the taxes that he was paying on the number of cigarettes he he was smoking were keeping the Irish Republic afloat. So uh, eventually they they managed to get rid of him before uh, when this contract you know within a contract time for kind of um, ex- expulsion. So he moved down to Westport and that, that was very difficult. But closer to you? Yes, closer to me. And um, and I think that that was very difficult because Daddy was born in Dundalk. He, OK, we he taught in Tullamore for a while, but he lived in Lucan and in Chicor. And while he loved coming on holidays down to the west of Ireland, you know, I, I'm talking about me there's a wrench you're you're so in control of your parents fate i mean basically the day he went into that second nursing home where he has been since april 2015 he has never been in charge of anything you know not really even even though he's taken them on and and we've gone looking for his car that was miss you know that was sold 4 years ago and stuff but you know he has no he has had no control of his life since the door of that nursing home was locked basically. does does he does he get to smoke uh, he, yes it, this this is why this nursing home has worked there is a smoking room in the nursing home that was the main that that was the main thing and if you think about it it a bit like your mum's nails kira this was something really important to him. And it's like a lot of the the little old ladies hang, hold on to their handbags. Yeah. And, you, and they're looking in them all the time. And sometimes I find myself looking in my handbag like that. And I, I think, oh, this is what's ahead of me. Mm. But, you know, the cigarettes were everything to Daddy. They were his kind of little symbol of freedom. 
Kira, that thing of digging around in your handbag endlessly, which I seem to be doing a lot more of now at the checkout, say in a supermarket, I find myself being the one who just can't find my purse, yeah. even though it's in there. Um, and I know how it looks. But when you when you think back, mm. were there early sort of alarms in, the, in your mother's case? Were there times when you thought, whoa, I'm not liking the look of this? Yeah. Um, so mom was quite glamorous and I suppose like what you were saying Anya about the independence going it's that that's kind of the upsetting part because like I think my mum was as independent as what your dad sounds like he was and that's weird flip that all of a sudden you're in charge of them they don't like that and for mum like glamour was you know she she mum was always very good looking always really minded her hair and how she looked um, and you know we always would have bonded over style and for me one of the first things I noticed um, well, she was happy going out in her pyjamas one day. Now, my mother wouldn't answer the door to the postman in her pyjamas. But that kind of lack of inhibition started to be lost. And um, you, is that the first thing you noticed? Did you the th- first thing both dad and I noticed was she was very irritable. And she'd get very angry over something that wouldn't make sense. Or she'd keep repeating things. Um, and she'd say something and then she'd come back to you 20 minutes later and ask you the same question which is a classic sign of Alzheimer's. I think everyone knows that that's something you need to look out for. Um, And initially, Dad and I had said, because my dad's dad died from Alzheimer's, so Dad was very kind of attuned to that. Um, And we had asked her to go and get tested. And it was that independence thing of, who are you, my daughter, to tell me to go and get this? No way. This is the tricky, this is such the tricky thing that I see in people Mm. I know, that it's actually that, that, that gap yeah. When you, the family are really quite alarmed, but you have to get, move yourselves and the person around to a diagnosis. Yep. So what happened, Kira? How did so you do that? Initially, we brought her to, and it sounds like we dragged her, and I suppose in some ways we kind of did, Cathy. Mm. She did not want to go. She, um, you know, and it was a massive fear for mum that she, you know, that I certainly don't have that. And I think, and this is just me guessing, but I think mum kind of knew. Um, I think she could kind of feel herself repeating things and people getting frustrated with her. But she went along and she passed the first test. And came out and went, now didn't I tell you? You were all wrong. Didn't talk to myself and dad for two weeks. Did you sit in on the test? Was she no, in on her no, own? No, no, dad was, she was in her own. Um, and both of us felt like, how did she pass that? You know, now mum would have been, you know, cute enough in that they'd say to you, one of the questions is like, what date is it? Mum would know to check the newspaper for that. Or so like she'd be managing it in her own little way. Because yeah, you've, de- you've developed tricks by then, tricks. I presume, to, yeah. to, to counter your yeah. Yeah. problems. Yeah. Or like things like, you know, one of the questions is, um, what's four plus two, say, example, and then they'll ask you the same thing in 10 minutes. And mum would just be like, sure, I don't know anything about maths. Don't be asking me that. Because she's so charming. You know, people <laughs> would be like, oh, yeah, of course. But then three months later, and we just noticed things like her inhibitions were going. She was getting a little bit more scatty than she had been before. She would forget things like, you know, she'd ring dad up and say, Jerry, I need you to go to the shop, and bring me back some bread. And there'd be like four loaves of bread in in, in the fridge or, or loads of milk in the fridge. And dad would be like, what's going on? Um, so we brought her back and she didn't pass that time. Um, what, do you think she deteriorated in three months? I do, yeah, I do. Um, I actually, from now knowing that she was having mini TIAs, mm. I think... I think she was having that. And like, you know, there's theories that trauma brings on Alzheimer's and mum had shattered her kneecap two years before. And I actually think that trauma ignited it because it was from that moment. And I cared for her when she did that. So it was that switch again, which she didn't like, obviously, because her daughter's looking after her and you just don't like that. And that's a scientific fact. Well, I don't know if it's a scientific, but there, there's theories that trauma can bring it on. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's my theory and, and my dad's theory that that trauma kind of started it with mum because my mum was only in her 60s when she got Alzheimer's. What age was she? If I tell you that, Cathy, she'd murder me. She was 68 or 69. My mother's mental about her age, so <laughs> sorry, mum. <laughs> Bernie, sorry, Bernie. Um, Anya, with George... Was it, was it, 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 because he was so eccentric. It yeah, must have been so, quite hard He to was spot. so eccentric. And you see, George, uh, again, we can all have our theories. And I kind of agree with you about mm. trauma. But George also had electroshock treatment when he was younger for depression. 
Now, one, so I remember when I, when we moved to Dublin first and Daddy was working in the Irish Times regularly, he'd always have to write down where he, where he parked his car. Now, he was drinking at the time as well. I'm just trying to remember, was it before? There's a lot he of dr- people in the Irish Times. <laughs> yeah. He drank <laughs> he for would have very, been most yeah, usual. <laughs> yeah, he drank for a very short period in his life and then embraced AA with the abandon, you know. Did he? Yeah, he only drank for nine years of his life. You know, he finished drinking when I was 16 or 17 and, 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 and that's not particularly relevant and I'm not sure if the electroshock treatment is, but again, it's something, uh, yep. they're doing something to your brain. So I remember that and then, life continued and all that and I think I think that um, uh, various a a personal trauma in his personal life um, may have triggered something because Daddy suddenly, in my view, even managing, he was still the bridge correspondent for the Irish Times uh, until 2014, until he was Which 84. Which is amazing, because yeah. bridge, I can yeah. never get to grips with no. it. I yeah. have tried. And he had a brilliant... It requires a really functioning... Uh, and that is memory. part of Logical it, just side like of your brain Kira, and memory. Yes. Yes. What Kira was saying was, Daddy was high functioning yeah. which could mask stuff yeah. and he started going to a mer- memory clinic very much against his will in James's because he was living in Inchicore and he started going to that and he was able to persuade him to do he that he was able to cover stuff because well there'd be huge rows about everything and all sorts of you know verbal kind of um, you know um expostulations, you know, about stuff. Uh, But I, it's kind of interesting if you have a moment, and this is just my memory now, because, you know, again, it's, it it is the kind of the, the, the interactive thing Mm -hmm. of the, the, the child, the adult child or the spouse coping. And, you know, I remember having been in James's with him one day and getting the Lewis down to Black Horse and walking down to your Connell Road and he was dying to go to the loo, okay? Dying. And he kept at me, at me, at me. So, like, he was his apartment was on to your Connell Road. And so he went into a garage to go to the loo and we were going to have some, like, he was going to have some greasy lunch in there. And when he walked out, I was, I was standing outside. So he was on the road. He'd lived on since 1983. And he said, Anya, I haven't a clue where we are. Where are we? And I remember that moment thinking, you know, and I I know at one stage we got him a watch where you could monitor him, you know, a Mm. GPS thing. But, you know, the battery would die and, you know, or different stuff like and it, it, it was happening before that moment. But for me, that moment just really sank in for me, you know. St. James is now... I'm not familiar with the unit in there, but I've read about it. Is yeah. it is it is it is it very good? I I I mean, he got very you know in, good treatment insofar as I mean, when I say good treatment, he went to a memory clinic. He rebelled every step of the way. He was assessed. You know, he was able to again. You know, be clever. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, somebody might ask him a question. He'd say, "But sure." You should answer that question. Why would you be asking me it? Or yeah. he'd play games with them, you know. So I don't know enough about about any particular memory clinic or hospital to say how good it is, you know. But he did get into the system pretty quickly. But part of the reason he, I mean, part of the reason in the end that he got into the nursing home system quickly was that he was an acute patient, you know, in after the heart failure, which got him into hospital, which. So it was a physical condition rather it, than the... Yes. It, yeah, now, his his life, and I think I said this in one of the pieces I've written, you know, when he was in James's, they ended up, uh, it was over Christmas period. I had, I, 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 the time he was brought in in December 2014. But he was so unmanageable in there. They had to find a one-to-one person to stand looking, following him, because he'd disappear across. Now, you can imagine, James's is a big hospital. I mean, he and and we were very stressed then, you know, so you you derive in. I'd say stress is. Mm. There was an awful lot of stress. And and I look back and uh, my youngest brother died in the middle of all of this. My beautiful brother, who was a clinical psychologist, Dermot Ryan, and and who would have been a specialist. He specialised. He did a second doctorate on Aging, and he was he was specialising in old age um, issues in Leash and Offaly, and um, 
Like, I, I remember, you know, Dermot was very stressed during this period, which is kind of ironic. And then next thing uh, in the Chris, Christmas of 2016, he was back in Italy where his wife and children live. He, commu- he commuted between Italy and Ireland and uh, and uh, he just got a pain and he had pancreatic. He, he was misdiagnosed several times and he was dead by May. But what I'm saying is I, I'm just saying certainly stress in his life uh, brought about by both our parents' situation because our parents were separate. My mother had had, had uh, Parkinson's as well, you know, um, mm. m- made us kind of in crisis mode a lot of the time, to be honest. For years, Anya. Yeah, it was quite protracted. And it's kind of interesting. It's all, uh, As people of a certain age, uh, many of our friends are going through this. So it's a process and you kind of feel, I remember one friend who happened to be a psychiatrist who was ahead of me and that her parents were dead and I don't mean it like that. I love daddy very dearly and I never want him to die. But, but you know, she'd say, well, look, it'll get easier, it'll get this. But when you're in the middle of the crisis and you're really scrambling around and of course, who wants to put, lock their parents up in a nursing home? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to do it. And I don't want to be knock, locked up in a nursing home either. And you're looking, you're projecting all that as you age yourself, saying, God, if my memory starts going, are my daughters going to be forced, you know? Mm-hmm. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Kira. What about the process in your mother's case? Was getting her into a nursing home easy or difficult or was it, I'm sure it was terribly difficult for you? It was a difficult decision. Um, So my dad worked full time. I'm an only child. Um, My parents live in rural Galway. We fought and fought. And I mean, like I work in advocacy. I know how to lobby and I've been lobbying for my mother since the day she got diagnosed and doing everything I could. And it was so difficult to get any services in the West. Like you talk about a memory clinic, we could not get one. That just does not happen. Like I'm sure you see it in Mayo. There was nothing like that. All we could manage to get was one hour of care a day. So come, someone coming into my mother one hour a day in the home. So like you talked about the watch, my dad got a CCT, CCTV all over the house. It turned into like the White House, like there was a code. He literally built a gate so she couldn't get out. Like, and he had to because he had to work and there was this massive fear. And we lived on eggshells constantly of, you know, is she going to fall down the stairs or is she, is she going to leave the oven on? Which was a big fear all the time. And dad, literally, my poor father was sitting in work with a camera on his phone watching her at home. Now, he lived 10 minutes away. If something happened, he could run home, but no one should be in that position. So... We fought and we fought and eventually we were told, you know, I think she's probably going to have to go into a home. But my mum, yeah, like my mum's a bit like George by the sounds of it. She did not, you know, she would have always said, you know, don't do that to me. Don't put me in there. And and once that freedom and that was she well aware of, it, of this discussion going on? Not at all. No, like by the time we were at a stage of putting mum into a home, mum didn't even know home was home. Because everyone with Alzheimer's always wants to go home, but no one with Alzheimer's knows where home is. Like even in the nursing home and it's heartbreaking. Everyone says, I want to go home. And even when they do get home, they want to go home. Like mum used to think, this is a nice hotel. She used to say to dad all the time, which is a compliment to her own house in fairness. But Mm. she regularly used to go, are we going home now, Jerry? I don't want to stay here. I'd like to go to my own house. But she didn't know where that was. So mum going into the home, she wasn't aware of it. But for dad and I making that decision... That okay, you know we can't do it anymore. Dad eventually retired, um, tried to care for her, but she wouldn't let him. She wouldn't let him do anything like you know eating. That kind of cognitive is hard for mum now. So lifting a cup of tea is difficult. Um, you know going to the toilet is difficult. Dressing herself is difficult. She needs full time care, and we did slow respite. And I have to say, Western Alzheimer's did so much like they almost kind of slowly introduced the home idea to my dad. Is that what what, what a slow respite period? So it's basically she'd go into respite for a few days, then a week, then two weeks. Then we started to do it a little bit as more often. Um, and then just before Christmas, she was almost in for the month. Um, so when she eventually did get the full time place, which is awful because we were waiting, there's only 13 beds 
um, than I am aware of in the West. I don't know if there's maybe a Mayo, but in Galway, it's a Alzheimer's specific nursing home. So, you know, things like wandering is a massive fear if it's just a general nursing home. Um, things to keep her memory going, like you talk about the ladies with the bags. Mm. The ladies in my mum's nursing home go around cleaning things all the time. They just love cleaning. And they love hold, they have babies that look like babies. And they all naturally want to breastfeed them and love them and cuddle them. So like mum goes, oh, we Kira now, I'll give her a cuddle. Which is heartbreaking, but it's good for her because that's where she's at. And if she was in a normal nursing home, that wouldn't happen. So we had to fight for that. You know, we had to fight to get her in that. And then there's this awful feeling of, you know, to get a place, a bedroom has to come up. And that, you know, that awful reality of what that means. And no one should have to face that. And God, whenever that place did come up just before, just after Christmas, sorry, like Dad and I just couldn't stop crying because it was, I don't know, I know it was our grief that, that that room came up, but it felt like it. And... You know, she's in full-time care now, but, and mum, like I, I read your latest column <laughs> on you, and mum has no idea she's in a nursing home. She thinks it's a lovely hotel, like well, your dad. May I just say it's kind of interesting, that gradual, you mm. know, kind of process you went through with daddy because he was expelled in Dublin and there was a crisis and he was in Westport. And I remember myself and my daughter, Bavin, brought him down to this nursing home, this lovely nursing home he's in since. And... Uh, we couldn't use the word nursing no. home. You couldn't. And again, it was always... We don't yeah, he'd no. say, he, Daddy would say, well, yeah, how much is this hotel night? And who's yeah. paying for it? But, but I'll never forget that day that we left him there overnight. We brought him down to this room and kind of pretended he was staying there for an hour. Yeah. And the two of us ran like two criminals mm-hmm. up the corridor and we didn't go out the hall door because he possibly would have been after us saying, where the... F- are you going? Yeah. You know, that's how rebellious he was then. And the the staff said, get out through the kitchen really quickly. That was an awful day. And you just cried that was a way horrible home, day. You? You just that was a hard because he was so highly. He wasn't broken down. If you yeah, know. he was. He was on, you know, he was in a Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. And he was going to stand up for himself. How much did he know on you at that stage? He was confused, you know. Yeah. And so for a very long time, he'd say, well, you know, I he'd say something about where am I? And I'd say, you're in Westport, Daddy. What, what the hell am I in Westport mm. for? I'm getting the train back. You you drive me back to Dublin. I want to be in my own home. You drive me back to Dublin this evening, on you. And in the beginning, you see, we're not, we are not qualified to know. Nope. In the beginning, you don't know whether, you know, in the beginning, I used to t- try and tell them the truth all yeah. the time. Sure. That's no use. No. That's no bloody use. You're only distressing him more. And yourself. The thing is, eventually, I learned from one of the lovely staff, distract him. Yeah. You know, just distract him. But it is awfully manipulative behaviour. And it feels terrible to do that yeah. to a parent. Yeah. 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 Like, I regularly yeah. do that. Mum regularly would also yeah. say, you know, we've no money for this hotel. We need to go home. Yeah. And I would just often say, Mum, your nails are lovely. Did, did you get your nails Well, done? I always tell Daddy the Irish state is paying for it. And he's, ha- <laughs> he's happy then. <laughs> I should say that to my mother. That's a good that's, idea. That's a, that's, a, that's a very interesting question about what you tell people and how much you tell them. And actually, I was only asked this a few weeks ago by a neighbour of mine whose husband is, is, is ailing a little bit from that point of view. And she's you can see she's getting frightened. Um, and she was saying, you know, I, I, I do tell him the truth. If he asks me something, I tell him. And then he gets then it, that distresses him. And but I know, Kira, that at, the, at a certain point you distract mm-hmm. or you do something else. What, yeah. what, what, what do you do? So dad used to feel the same way. He's like, I'm not going to lie to my wife. You know, like mum would regularly ask for her siblings that would have died or she'd ask for, you know, am I going back down to my, my sisters because mum's sister raised her. So she'd be like, where's Teresa? I want to go home now to Teresa. And mum still, mum thinks now she's in the north. And dad would correct her and say, oh, no, we're in Galway, love. You know, we're we're here or heavens. Once he said we're in a nursing home. And I was like, what have you done? No, <laughs> because then she's angry. And, and it's it's that feeling because I think Alzheimer's must be frustrating because, you know, when you can't remember someone's name. It's so annoying. Imagine having that all the time. For two years, I used to be afraid when I bring daddy out for a drive. There's a corner. It's down a Boreen, you know, outside mm. Westport, the nursing home. And there's a corner that says the name of the nursing, the nursing home. And every time time my heart would start beating really fast and I tried to distract him as we went around that corner I was so afraid he'd say what are we going into a nursing home for and whenever he'd bring it up I'd say oh you're just in a convalescent home but uh, mm. uh, for at least two years I'd yeah do we that. say oh, club yeah. 
Mm. She's yeah. gone to a club. Mm. Anya, when when um, when your brother died, mm. uh, was George aware of that? No, we never told him. And and again, I I think I've written about this in an earlier column. Uh, it, this was really tough. Dermot was only forty eight. He was really healthy, um, really good, and very close to Daddy. So. Um, and Daddy lives in the moment a lot, so he'd be very much in the moment with you when you're there. And so he usually doesn't bring up he doesn't bring up other people. He doesn't bring up my siblings usually when I'm with them, whatever it is. He'd bring up our our, our mothers. There was a phase of that, but so he had never ever mentioned Dermot to me. And about three months after Dermot died, uh, I was in 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 with him, and we we're chatting about stuff. And out of the blue. He said, Anya, how's Dermot? And I, well, I nearly fainted. So I just said, oh, he, he's fine, Daddy, he's fine. He said, he hasn't been in to see me for a long time. Will you tell him I want to see him? And I said, I will. And I cried all the way home. Kira, the, the thing about your father wanting to be truthful to his wife, um, I presume that just went out the window very oh, yeah, quite quickly. Very quickly. So, you know, things like whenever he goes to leave, and I think it's fascinating. I and I, I it's like from a psychological point of view, like mum, like dad used to be a long distance lorry driver and she used to get so sad when he left. So she still has that when he leaves. She's like, You're not leaving. No, don't go. So I've told dad just to say, We're going down to um the shop, we're just gonna get some bread and milk. Will I get you a bottle of wine? And just say it. And mum will always say, yeah, great. And he, my dad's not very good at the whole lying thing. You know, he's just like this. This doesn't feel right. Whereas he's seen when I do it, she'll go, oh, yes, love. Great. Thanks very much. And she, mum's given up cigarettes, but still wants them. Like mm. still says, get us a wee pack of cigarettes sometimes. <laughs> or doesn't know the word and says, give me, give me. Mm. And puts the fingers to the mouth because she's looking for them. But dad doesn't love doing it. But I think now he, he gets better at it when she asks about siblings that have passed on. He'll just say, oh, yeah, they're great. Or sometimes she'll say, um, do you know who hasn't been, I haven't seen in a long time is is Teresa, um, is her, her older sister. And dad will just say, oh, she was in last week because it settles her because it's the anxiety that's the worst part of Alzheimer's. Yeah. The inability to express mm. that confusion as well then mm. because you've forgotten mm. what you asked and the answer. Yeah. And that pride then as well. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so we're talking about tactics really to get over the to get over the moment and to to minimise the confusion. So Anya, you would, I presume you don't ask probing questions. Do you well, you we, stay in the moment or how do, yeah. how do you handle it when you go in and you're sitting there? Which is a difficulty. A lot of people, they're, yeah. they're, people are terrified of this, of visiting a person whom they know, but who they aren't related to. How do you conduct a visit with a person well, in that we say condition? Everything has changed over the last few years. So in the beginning, we might still be doing the crossword and he could be lying on the bed doing the Irish Times crossword in his head and forget about any kind of dementia. He would be quicker than me at getting the clues, you know. And he, he one of his favourite little... Um, sayings over those times was I, I you know I may have lost my, my short term memory may not be great but I haven't lost my powers of reasoning and a lot of the time he hadn't now some of the time he had and we had to respect that then you know and that is an important thing you know but we'll say gradually or progressively uh, he'd, he'd, he'd say something like oh no I don't feel like doing a crossword or no I don't feel like watching Judge Judy who he loved because although she's very down on alcoholics, which he doesn't like, but 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 he'd he'd say, no, I just feel like talking. And he'd say to me, so what age are you now? And I tell him what age I was and tell me how your daughters are. You've three daughters, Ashling, Baby and say, tell me what they're doing. And I tell him what I'm doing. And then and my kind of rule was I'd always answer questions if I'm answering it for the first time. He would ask me those two questions 10, 20 times. And I'd answer them. So, you know, it is quite draining. So l lately, we'll say one of the little phases he went through over the last year was singing Under the Bridges of Paris with you. And he'd sing that all the time and I'd hold his hand. Or I'd read him Kavanagh. He loved Patrick Kavanagh poetry and he'd met Kavanagh a couple of times. But of course, I'd read Kavanagh poetry and then start bawling crying. <laughs> you know? the best of times at some of his poetry <laughs> yeah. anyway. yeah. 
But, you know, so the process has really changed. So, no, you would avoid, you would avoid, you'd be really having a, a, a superficial uh, chat. Yeah. Yeah. It's you superficial. Know? Yeah. yeah. And Kira, in your case, do, I mean, for, just give us some examples. I mean, so you go in there or your father goes in there. Do you start all over? I mean, do you just, do you just, does he just say, how are you today and keep it in the present or... Yeah, uh, no, we don't keep in the present because that that goes into the loop. So for me, I say it's Kira. How are you, Bernie? Don't say Mum because she'd be like, "You're not Kira," yeah. and then she gets upset. So I'll say it's Kira. How are you doing, Bernie? Um, and I would often bring it to the past. Now, in the last month or so, Mum has deteriorated a bit more, so her sentences don't make any sense. So it's very difficult to have a conversation. I don't know if it's because Mum and I have a special bond. I understand what she's saying, but dad often doesn't. Some of the nursing care nurses do, but not really. So sometimes she'd be like, you know, like table, coffee, glass, like sentence like that. But when she goes off on those loops, what I often do and it's tricks I've learned is I actually talk about a nosy neighbour we used to have and she gets real mad and that woman, <laughs> she'd come out and I'll say she's in the house, mum, and she wants to know how old dad is. She's trying to find out. She's looking at the letters. Oh, she is not. Then she gets into the cross. and she, well, She'd quite enjoy her crossness. Oh, she, yeah, 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 yeah. She'd be a bit of crack then, you know. And then, Or else um, I'd say, uh, do you know, mum, I was down. And that's hard because you try to get rid of mum, but it's, she's still my mum. Um, and she misses it. And sometimes she'll go, I'm not your mother. And you're like, sorry, Bernie. Bernie, um, I'd say, you know, I was down the street the other day and some woman said she didn't like my dress. <gasps> That's shocking because mum hates that kind of, she has mm. a bit of gossip. So mm. I knocked the crack out of her. Mm. Dad would tell her a bit about the past. So dad would go way back to living in the north and talking about her siblings. And and is that intensely familiar to her? Yeah. Is, is that, 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 that yeah. lights up certain... We can usually guess where she's at. Yes. And from what she'll say, you can kind of guess what stage she's at. Um, so you can kind of bring them up. Um, like she would have sisters that she would often talk about so we can bring them up because she thinks they're only around the corner. Um, and I, I and I don't know how and I can't explain Alzheimer's sometimes. Mum has only ever met my wife as with Alzheimer's. But mum always knows that Maria is an important person in our family. She doesn't know who she is, but she'll often say, now look, there she is. And how? How? Don't know. But so when Maria comes in, she'll be like, hello, Bernie, how are you? I'm Maria. And mum thinks that she's her friend or familiar. So she'll be like, oh, yeah. And Maria will talk to her about the dancing and the music because mum loved the big bands. So if she's very anxious, we play music. And I don't know, does that work for your dad? Loves it. Yeah. Could I? Again, it goes back to how complex and multi-layered it is. Mm. And just saying that thing about her instinct, about knowing Maria is important in yeah. your life. This is a, on a different level. And this just doesn't make sense because of short term memory loss. Daddy was lying on his bed. Uh, this is a couple of years ago now. It wouldn't happen now. But he was listening to the BBC News or something like that. And there was a news, uh, you know, bulletin on. And he was lying. And I thought he was kind of falling asleep, which often you want them to do because it's easier for you than, you know, and you're hoping they'll just calm down and everything. So he was listening to that news. His eyes were closed. And afterwards he said, was it necessary for that newscaster to use the word indeed 13 times? <laughs> and I just thought, where, How? Did, where did that come from? And I think that's important to remember. It's not simple. No. It's not simple. It's not predictable. You know, and yeah, it no. isn't. The person is there still, you know. And what strikes me about both of you is your, 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 how you've grasped this in your grief how you've grasped this in your multiple griefs and, and what lies behind your own story, Kira. Um, the fact that this is ongoing um, and it does, it must appear endless at times. It's like a boxing match sometimes. It is. You just, you think you know, you think you're ready for the next step and you're told each part of the brain and where it goes mm. and you understand it and you think you get it. Mm. But each time you think you get it, something else happens. And... Initially, like, I used to deal with the grief by finding the joy because mum used to think I was her sister. So she'd tell me things about boys she'd be dating. <laughs> and I'd let, I got to know mum in ways I wouldn't as her mm. daughter, you know. But then as it got on, the the just enormity of it all mm. and understanding that actually those glimpses are very small. Like for, for us now, the glimpses of mum are, are less and less. And that is heartbreaking 
And it's, you know, like I haven't been home in a couple of weeks simply because if I do, I think I'll just start crying and mum would get mad at me. You know, she, she'd be like, why are you crying? So for me, I have to kind of, you have to find that self-care of I'm just going to give myself a break. Um, you know, even like writing the article, I thought, I suppose I'm a writer for me. That's how I process things. But actually, you know, it brings up all this massive grief that you didn't even know you had. And I've had people that have contacted me through like Twitter and someone who my mum used to babysat contacted me because of the article. That's It's like this weird funeral grief. You know what a funeral when everyone talks about the person? May I just say it's, mm. it's kind of interesting because, again, one has to, you know, one only lives within one own, one's yeah. own head. And like Daddy was 89 on the 31st of December. And we were there with the cake, uh, some of us, and he was quiet and he was calm. And I, I'm i not ready for daddy not to be there anymore. Uh, and that sounds kind of selfish. Once he's quiet, once he's calm and not in pain, I don't know whether I'd be able for some major physical deterioration like a, a stroke. And this sounds very self-centred or selfish of me. But, um, you know, what I'm saying is we've got, we, yes, it has been a protracted pro- process and there's a lot of grief and confusion in it. But you become, par- you become so immersed in the story, you nearly don't know how, you don't want it to end. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, you know, you, hear, you often hear people in the medical world saying, no, it won't be normal, but you, you're now in a new normal. Um, and yet there are so many, th- th- this boxing match that you call it, Kira, um, the new normal isn't just a calm slide into oblivion for this no. person or for the family. I want to ask you, the two of you, one last thing, Kira, uh, first. Um, if there's something you could say to the people around you, how can I help? What can what can people do? Because oh. they're ter- people are frightened. People are you know? terrified. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, for mum, she she doesn't know if you visited her. You know, dad sees her every day, but mum, an hour later, doesn't know you were there. But it's the family around you. Um, you know, it's the it's the support and it's the just giving a buzz. Are you all right? Like my dad's retired now, but he still has this massive weight and this mat like you were saying about this massive stress all the time and I think it's it's actually saying to my dad and, and maybe me I suppose like my wife is a massive support but my dad is alone and goy and it's this are you okay do you need to have a bit of a cry and I think that age group men don't know that they can and that's what the hardest of this grief is that you know like my dad said to me and he killed me for saying this but he said to me you know I'll, I'll let it all go and I'll get upset whenever she goes but that's not okay because each stage is just so upsetting and you have to feel that, you know. So dad is starting to learn that, but that stigma needs to be brought away. So asking carers, are you all right? You know, like, Anya, like, I feel for you mm. that you're so close to your dad, like geographically. Yeah, but it's not me that really gets the trouble from it. I'm not changing his clothes or anything like that. It's carers who work really hard for really long mm-hmm. hours um, and uh, dedicated vocational nurses that are looking after him. I can I can just breeze in there, uh, you know, have a little chat with daddy, tick the box, because sometimes it is ticking the box because it is, to be honest, so upsetting and it has worn one down so much. Um, but just generally, I feel society needs to look at this very, very, uh, fo- in a very focused way. We're an ageing society. I don't think people should be institutionalised in this way. I know some private nursing homes, the nursing home my mother was in Dublin, is very progressive and and developing kind of little pods or little home places on the grounds where people of certain ages can't, you know, Mm -hmm. or people of certain um, um, debility, I suppose, or whatever it is, um, are able to uh, live slightly more independently maybe than others. Um, I think, you know, I I just think that we, it's a huge 
problem coming down the road and it needs to be, it hasn't actually been mentioned in any of the election um, debates really, uh, not in a very focused way. Okay, no, other other, other medical issues. And the pension or yeah, whatever. And, yes. and autism and stuff. But this is a reality yeah. that any of us of a certain age are, are facing as well. And it is an issue that I, I hope um, the Grey Vote goes out there and starts uh, becoming active on. Oh. Yeah, like rural Ireland needs so much when it comes to Alzheimer's. If you're in Dublin, you're fine. But if you're outside of Dublin, there's very little. You know, and those small grassroots organisations like Western Alzheimer's that helped us, you know, like they're tiny. You know, they need help. And I think that they're very neglected. And I do think it's a stigma thing that, you know, people just don't know what to do with Alzheimer's. And it is an old age thing and yeah, it's, it's neglected. Got, and, and Alzheimer's is just one word for, uh, uh, as we can both see. Yeah. For example, my father is much older than your mother. Mm. He's still able to eat his dinner. Your yeah. mother isn't. Exactly. You know, let's not just put it in one little box. It's yeah. very it's very handy to that's do that. Very that that's, that's a very important message that's come to come across during this discussion that that there is no such thing as just somebody has Alzheimer's. It could mean absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. It could mean somebody's rather frightened of, what, of certain behaviour they see. Uh, but it could also mean you're still able to mm-hmm. function at a certain level. Um, look, I'm so grateful to you both for coming in and talking about this. And I'm, kind of, I'm glad you had a kind of therapy in being able to write about it because that certainly helps. But I also think you what you said at the end there, both of you, about needing practical help and for the sake of the entire nation, looking ahead and looking at what provision is needed is also terribly important. Kira and Anya, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thanks to our guests Orla Condon, Anya Ryan and Kira Jordan. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we are on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and I'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 